Hello, namaste, and welcome, everybody. And welcome to Living from the Heart. If this is your first session with me, I begin each session with a poem of my own, followed by a 30-minute Dharma talk. And then we close out each session with a nice 15-minute meditation. And today's poem is called Energy, Matter, and flow. Without the sun, the mountains, and the rivers, all conspiring together, you simply would not be. Feel light not on you, but in you. Feel the wind not over you, but through you. Feel the earth's oceans beating through your veins. Feel an eternal springtime blossoming inside of you and rest in that life's endless embrace as it carries you in and beyond. At the intersection of energy, matter, and flow, mind, senses, and soul, let it all go and come to know lasting peace. And today's theme is all about the importance of cultivating connection. And I wanted to begin our talk with a story. And the story starts with a shepherd walking along the hills with his sheep. A villager sees him and asks, I've always been curious, how much do your sheep walk in one day? And the shepherd replies, well, which ones, the black ones or the white ones? Well, the white ones, the villager says. Oh, the white ones walk about four miles a day, says the shepherd. And the black ones, asks the villager. Oh, they also walk about four miles a day. I see, says the villager. And how much do they eat? The shepherd replies, which ones, the black ones or the white ones? Well, the black ones, the villager says. Oh, the black ones eat about four pounds of grass a day, says the shepherd. And the white one asks the villager. Oh, they eat about four pounds a day too. Now, this exchange goes on for a while until the villager finally asks. You know, whenever I ask you about your sheep, you always ask about the black ones or the white ones. Why is that? He asked the shepherd. Oh, the shepherd says, because the white ones are mine. And the black ones, asked the villager. Oh, those are mine too, says the shepherd. And I know it's kind of a long story with perhaps not the best punchline, but I love this story and I keep coming back to it because the story perfectly encapsulates how easy we create distinctions and separation. And oftentimes the distinction and separation that we create between things, between peoples, between different phenomenon in this universe is totally arbitrary. 
And another way we create separation is with our own feelings of possessiveness. We can easily divide things up between mine and everybody else's. So our separation can also come from a place of ego. And if we are to cultivate connection in our lives, we first have to understand why there is so much disconnection and why separation is such a ubiquitous part of the human experience. For example, if I were to ask you to list me the differences between men and women, you could probably immediately take pen to paper and list as many differences as you can think of. And then I might ask you, well, what about similarities? What are some similarities between men and women that you might observe? And coming up with this list might be more challenging. And it's more challenging, and this is very strange, because men and women are about 98.2% the same, right? There are way more similarities between men and women than there are differences. But our mind is incredibly discriminating about individual differences. It can easily divide up different people into all sorts of different categories. We even divide up individual people based on how we perceive them. We might say that is a nice person over there, that is a mean person over there, that is a friendly person over there, that is a hardworking person there, and a lazy person there. And it doesn't take an enlightened guru to discover how so many problems in the world are caused and created by this instinct to create separation. In fact, it was Mother Teresa who said that the problem with the world is that we draw the circle of our family too small. And if you do look at many problems in the world, you see it's not from a lack of love necessarily, but a lack of too encompassing of a love. We love our country, but go to war against another country. And so too, you see how all sorts of distinctions between race, between class, between sex, between countries, they create all sorts of isms like racism, classism, sexism, and nationalism. All of these come from a sense of separation. And anytime you create a group of people that you refer to as us, you are thereby creating another group of people that is now them. And all sorts of conflict can happen in any distinction between us and between them. And many of the problems that we're facing in humanity right now, that we're facing as a world and as a culture, do indeed require a feeling of connection with each other, do require a feeling of universal responsibility. If we are to solve climate change, we have to join together as one human species on one planet. So we have to look at all the ways the mind is creating arbitrary distinctions, arbitrary separations between peoples, and to shift to realizing that we are not different human species. We are one human species on one planet and all connected 
two, one, love. Now, many of you know that I love the teachings of yoga. And although the root word yuge, the Sanskrit word yuge, can be conjugated in a few different ways to mean a few different things, the most common definition that you'll hear is that yoga comes from the same root as to yoke, which means to join or bring together. And I love to ask my students, why are there so many yogic practitioners in the West? Why have millions of people been so drawn to the practice of yoga, to the practice of joining together? Because it implies that the modern person feels a sense of disconnection, so then they come to this practice of connection. And when we ask ourselves, what is the modern person disconnected from? So many answers arise that the answer might as well be pretty much everything. First off, we are disconnected from ourselves. The average person lives from their shoulders up, lost in our own thoughts, believing everything that we think. And when one monk was even asked to describe Western civilization, he said, lost in thought. And when we are lost in thought, we are cut off from our own bodies. We are caught off from our own sense of aliveness, caught off from our breath, caught off from our bones and the muscles and our skin. And another incredibly important organ in the body is, of course, our heart. The more we live and reside in our mind, the less we focus on and live in our heart. And many people, too, are even disconnected from their own purpose. Many people in the world are not living their purpose, the unique reason they were put here on this earth. So we are disconnected from ourselves. We're also disconnected from each other. We are living in what many people describe as the paradox of loneliness. And the paradox of loneliness looks at how, in theory, we should be feeling more connected than ever before. We have all sorts of technology that connects us to all sorts of people in the world. And we can even use our trains and cars and planes to go anywhere in the world and to experience and to connect with more and more people. But despite the fact that in theory, we're more connected than ever before, in reality and in our real subjective experience, people are more lonely than ever. And if you even look at each subsequent generation from 100 years ago, is the next following generation is less social, engages in person-to-person contact less, and experiences more loneliness. And when you look at how our society is structured, this shouldn't be too surprising. One of the first things that has dissolved in the past 100 years is our extended family structures. So no longer do grandparents live with the parents, which live with the grandchildren. By and large, modern folks growing up today are expected to leave the house, go to college, and then be on their own. So the average household size has absolutely decreased over the past few decades. And along with the dissolving of extended family structures, we also see the dissolving of communities. No longer are we 
living in one village with 120 closest of our friends. We live in isolated apartments in isolated buildings and no longer have those group gatherings where we see people and connect with other people. So we are disconnected from ourselves. We are disconnected from each other and we are disconnected from the world around us from the natural world, the world of rocks and rivers and trees and skies and clouds. And the modern human being spends more time in totally artificial environments than any generation before. We live in rooms which tend to be artificially lit by our light bulbs, artificially heated and cooled. We are no longer connected to the changing temperatures and the changing sunlight of our days and of our seasons. And very rarely do we even go out in nature. One study found that children were able to identify over 1,000 corporate logos and less than 10 leaves. In fact, many adults can probably identify a lot more corporate logos than they can leaves. You might see a BMW logo and a Mercedes logo, and it immediately brings to mind these car brands. But you see a maple leaf and a eucalyptus leaf, and you don't see any difference between them. We are disconnected from even where our food comes from. There's a huge difference between putting your fingers and hands into the earth, pulling out a root vegetable, holding it in your hand, and bringing it to your kitchen, than buying it from the grocery store. And we see this, of course, in the meat industry. The meat industry expends an extraordinary amount of effort so that the average consumer does not know what goes on in the meat processing plants. Because if they did, they would probably be a vegetarian for the rest of their life. And there's a huge difference between recognizing that a cow and a chicken and a fish are living, breathing animals that we are killing in order to provide sustenance for our own bodies versus just a slab of meat that it comes in a package at the grocery store. So these are just a few examples of how disconnected we are in the modern world and how we need to intentionally take time out of our day to cultivate connection. And there's a huge ship we need to steer in order to come back to connection. There are many teachers who say that your entire spiritual journey, which can take many lifetimes, many deaths and rebirths through the process of karma and reincarnation, just to finish, just to complete the spiritual journey from the head to the heart. So it takes time, but it is worth it. And to me, we can cultivate connection through the body, through the heart, and through the mind. And one of the most beautiful transformations that happens in our own experience is when we connect to our bodies again. When we stop living from the shoulders up, 
and live from the toes to the top of the head. And the reason this is, is because our body is what connects us to the world around us. Our body is residing right now in the present moment. By coming into our bodies, we come into the present moment. Another way the mind creates distinction is by dividing up levels of experience between the body, our physical sensations, our emotions, our thoughts, and then our spiritual reality. And again, these are arbitrary distinctions. Everything is connected. But to me, the most important distinction around if you're going to divide up the human experience between physical sensations, emotional, and mental, is that only one of those takes in input and connects with the external world. Is our emotions are on the inside, our thoughts are on the inside, but our body is the gateway. We are taking in the sensations through the skin and the sense of touch, through the nose and the sense of smell, through the ears and the sense of hearing. So by coming into the body, we are opening that gate even further between who we think we are and the world around us. And the more we come into the body, the more connected we feel to the world around us. And the naturalist John Weir put it this way, the sun shines not on us, but in us. The rivers flow not past, but through us, thrilling, tingling, vibrating every cell and fiber of the substance of our bodies, making them glide and sing. And indeed, when we feel into our bodies, we become alive. We feel how the water that we drink is flowing through us. We feel that the heart that is beating is flowing blood throughout our body. And the poet Mary Oliver put it this way, Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It is what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the ocean's shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. So meditation is one way to connect through the body, through breath-centered meditation. Yoga is a wonderful way to connect to the body through the movement practice of asana. But we can connect through our body through any mindful movement, through Tai Chi and Qigong and many dance modalities also will deepen that connection we feel in the body so that we can find the untrimmable light of the world. So in coming back to connection, we can cultivate connection to our bodies and we can cultivate connection to our heart. And one of the challenges around talking about the heart 
is simply the word heart. And it's a shame to me that we don't have a different word to refer to our heart space like we do with the mind and the brain. So with the mind and the brain, everyone knows what the brain is. It's that three-pound, very complex chunk of matter inside of our skulls. And then there's a huge difference between, say, the firing of neurons, which we can measure, and the experience of our mind, which interprets those firings of the neurons as a flower or as a firework or as a tree or as a person that we love. So in the same way that the brain is our neurons, but the mind is someone that we love, so too the heart is that organ in our body that pumps our blood. But when we use the term heart, we're referring to the core of our being. We're referring to that place inside of us that is the source of our love. That is that layer on top of our physical experience of a beating heart that includes our love and our truth and our wisdom and our sense of being in this world. Alfred Lamott put it this way in his poem, Gentle. A gentle world begins in the way you touch your heart. Be soft with the light inside you. Caress your body with this breath. God is nothing else but the place where the sun comes up in your chest. You are the glimmering destination. You are the golden honey dabbed on the bread of the ordinary. Whatever is perfect, whatever is heavenly, begins right here. I love that line. God is nothing else but the place where the sun comes up in your chest. So when we talk about living from the heart, we're not talking about the chambers and the aorta of the heart of where we need to live from. We're talking about that place where the sun comes up in your chest. We're talking about that place that when we tune into it, a natural love and wisdom arises. And finally, we can also cultivate a deep sense of connection by shifting our mind. Because when we do talk about any sense of separation, any sense of disconnection, all of these are arbitrary distinctions created in the mind. Just like the story at the beginning you mean the white ones or the black ones? Which sheep are you talking about? This is distinctions that we've decided to make between sheep based on color. But in the real world, everything is connected. And again, it was John Weir, the naturalist, who said, when we try to pick out anything in this world by itself, we find it is hitched to everything in the universe. In the same way, you might say we have body, heart, and mind. These are all connected. You will not see a heart without a body. You will not see a mind without a body. So part of our cultivating connection practice is to take on the perspective that everything is connected, that everything is dependent on everything else. So if you ask a person, 
what the average person needs to survive, they'll tend to focus on things like food and water. But we depend on so much more for our existence. Obviously, we need the air around us. We also need gravity. We also need each other. We are social beings and fundamental to our health and wellness is a strong feeling of social connection with other human beings. So there's different ways to think about and verbalize this feeling of interconnectedness. I'm a big fan of Thich Nhat Hanh's word, interbeing. We are all interbeing with one another. And Thich Nhat Hanh will even hold up a piece of paper in his lectures and I'll ask the audience, do you see a cloud in this piece of paper? And it's just a blank piece of paper. So the audience is quite confused. And he says, well, this paper would not exist if it did not come from a tree. A tree cannot exist without the sun, the earth, and the rain to nourish the earth. And rain cannot exist without the cloud. So, so too, a poet can see the cloud inside the paper. Because without clouds, you cannot have paper. And we can take this understanding and extrapolate it to everything else in the universe. We can see stars within ourselves. The iron in your blood and the calcium in your teeth was created in a star billions of years ago. And now this forms our body. So part of shifting our mind Cultivating connection in our minds means seeing the web of relationships that we all exist in. And when I say web of relationships, it's easy to kind of think about person A is over here and the connected to person B. But it's important to take the web of relationships even further with a concept that is known as Indra's web. And Indra's web is a concept known in both Vedic and Buddhist philosophy. And it's sometimes called Indra's net, which involves a web of connection where each point is a pure jewel. And within this three-dimensional web where each point is a jewel, each jewel is able to reflect every other point in the web. So not only is everything connected, not only is my well-being dependent on your well-being, not only is my existence dependent on the clouds and dependent on the earth to provide me with the oxygen and the food and the water for my own sustenance, but so too I am a reflection of the earth just as the earth is a reflection of me. Another way of putting this is that we are everyone we have ever known and everyone that has shaped us. And this is important for us to understand as human beings that other people help shape us and help shape us to be who the person that we are. Early on in our life, we needed somebody to be there to take care of us, to provide us with food and shelter and water. But we also, even right now, speak a language that somebody spoke to us. And so too, we have had countless teachers in our lives who have helped shape our physical, mental, emotional reality. So 
Martin Buber, the Russian philosopher, also will say that all of life is meeting. All of life is interconnected in an interrelationship. And in that meeting, both people are changed. And so too, we as human beings in the Indra's net, in the infinitely jeweled web where every point is a reflection of everything else, so too who we are is shaped by the world. And then we in turn, of course, try our best to shape the world and the world becomes its own reflection of us. So I just went into some deep philosophical concepts and it's important to take any spiritual teaching and contemplate it, mull it over, meditate on it. So our meditation practice to close out today's session will be on connecting to our breath and then seeing how our breath connects us to the world around us. And there's many ways to focus on the breath and meditation, and we'll explore a few of those ways. And one of the first things we need to do in order to meditate is to focus the mind. And the breath offers a really wonderful object of concentration to focus on. So to start, find yourself sitting comfortably. Feel into your foundation. And from here, straighten your spine. Relax your shoulders. Rest your palms. Relax your jaw. Soften the muscles around your eyes. And you can have your eyes closed or perhaps a little bit open, looking down. And to begin, let us ground our energy down, taking a deep inhale through the nose. And empty your exhale through the mouth. Try that two more times, inhale nose. And exhale mouth. And then simply inhale and exhale through your nostrils. And let us first sharpen our attention. So focus on the sensation of the breath as it passes in and out of your nostrils and above the upper lip. So as you inhale, do so and focus on the sensations of the breath as it goes in your nostrils and out of your nostrils. And stay with the breath like this for just a few minutes and see if you could stay completely focused on simply the sensations of the breath as it passes in and out of your nostrils.
If your attention has wandered without judgment, without reactivity, bring it back to the breath. Now, to deepen our connection to our bodies, let us breathe and follow the passage of air all the way in to the lungs and all the way out. So as you inhale, feel the air pass across your upper lip, pass through the nostrils, enter into your nasal passages, pass down through the back of the throat, enter into the trachea, Expand into two lungs. Fill out all the way to the base of the lungs. And notice even how your belly expands on the inhale. And on the exhale, let your belly contract. Let your lungs contract. And feel that same passage of air pass all the way out through your trachea, through the back of your throat, out through the nasal passages past the nostrils, and past the upper lip. So follow that entire passage of air all the way in the nose, base of the lungs, down to the belly, and follow the passage of air back out. And now let us focus on this exchange with the world. So notice the physiological process of breathing. We think of ourselves as breathing, but really we are allowing the world to breathe us. As you inhale, notice you actively expand your lungs and the air rushes into the space that you created. And as you exhale, like an accordion, lungs contract, and then the world takes the air that you exhale. 
So as you inhale, make space and allow the world to breathe into you. And as you exhale, release that air back out into the world. And as you continue to breathe and focus on the physiological process of breathing, notice too that when you inhale, you're taking in fresh oxygen. And that oxygen was produced in trees, in plants, even algae in the ocean produces 40% of the world's oxygen. So as you breathe, feel in to that connection, thanking the trees, the plants, and even the tiniest of creatures for producing this oxygen, this life-giving oxygen. And as you exhale, you exhale carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide then gets taken back up by those same plants. So as you inhale, feel the fresh oxygen enter your bloodstream. And as you exhale, let that carbon dioxide leave your body and get taken in back by the world. And also recognize that you breathing takes energy. And the energy that you burn to breathe also came from plants and potentially animals. And that energy came from the sun. So notice the energy it takes to breathe. And notice where that energy came from. The sun warmed the earth. The sun's energy was absorbed by plants. Those plants were then perhaps eaten by animals. If you're vegetarian, all of your energy came from those plants. And if you're not a vegetarian, then the animals consumed the plant energy, which came from the sun energy, which is now energy that you are using simply in order to breathe.
And I'll close out with a quote by Richard Nelson who writes, I breathe in the soft, saturated exhalations of cedar trees and salmonberry bushes, fireweed and wood fern, marsh hawks and meadow voles, marten and harbor seal and black-tail deer. I breathe in the same particles of air that made songs in the throats of hermit thrushes and gave voices to humpback whales. The same particles of air that lifted the wings of bald eagles and buzzed in the flight of hummingbirds. The same particles of air that rushed over the sea in storms, whirled in high mountain snows, whistled across the poles, and whispered through lush equatorial gardens. Air that has passed continually through life on earth. I breathe it in, pass it on, share it in equal measure with billions of other living things, endlessly, infinitely. Taking two last deep breaths, feeling that exchange with all things endlessly, infinitely, sharing this air, this life, this love, this earth with each other. And I thank you for sharing this practice with me today. Namaste. Namaste.